This morning, I invite you to open them to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, that's page 737 in the Pew Bible, if you're using one of those. Page 737. A disclaimer, as I was putting together my, uh, my sermon schedule for this series, I like to sketch that out as I spend time studying and figuring out, okay, what dates I'm going to preach, what passage, and how I'm going to split up the book. And um, You ever take a bite of something that's far too big, and as you're chewing it, you think, oh no, this was a bad idea? Um, I, I did that <laughs> with Daniel chapter 2. I thought, as I studied it and was preparing, I was like, I can do all of Daniel 2 in one Sunday. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. This is Daniel chapter 2, part 1, and next week will be Daniel chapter 2, part 2, uh, as there's just so much, of course, packed into these accounts here from uh, Babylon and Daniel and his interaction with Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, we're going to look here roughly at the, the first half of this chapter, the first two points of this, ser- or this sermon that will, in a sense, extend over two Sundays. So if you've found your way there, we're going to be looking basically at the first half of Daniel chapter 2, sermon entitled, Bad Dreams and Bad News, Part 1. So let's pray, then I'll read a few verses this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, as we think this morning of Daniel chapter 2 and of the book of Daniel, how these earthly powers have struggled and strived, Lord, to gain power over people and over land, they do so, Lord, in a way that is futile because you ultimately are the one who raises them up and takes them down. You are the one who directs the, the heart of the king, Lord, for good and, Lord, for allowing uh, conquering to happen of your people. Lord, we pray as we come to your word this morning that we'd get a glimpse of just your majesty and your power and your sovereignty and working all these things together. And I don't know, you are ultimately at work behind the scenes where we might look out or the world might look out and think, wow, what is happening? But you know. Lord, help us to rest in that fact that you are the one who will get glory by setting up your kingdom forever. We pray in your son's name. Now, I'm not going to read all, um, all 50-some, 49 verses of Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to read verses Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, which is really kind of the, the pivotal section in this chapter. It, it's kind of the high point, and everything flows to it and from it here. So I'll read Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. And now you have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. I love history. History is is one of my favorite things. And perhaps uh, you enjoy history as well. Uh, Learning about different odd things or or things that have happened that might have been forgotten. Uh, There are several authors that I enjoy uh, that write about these unique 
uh, unique things. There's one author, his name is Hampton Sides, and he, uh, he wrote a book called In the Kingdom of Ice. So it's around uh, the turn of the, the, 18th, or the 19th and the 20th century. It's around 900, or excuse me, 1900. And there's a scientific expedition that's headed to the North Pole. And they thought that, according to common scientific belief, one theory at the time, is that the North Pole was actually a tropical ocean. That it was encircled with a ring of ice because of how the weather patterns flowed, but that if you could get through the ice, there would actually be open ocean across to Russia and to Europe, basically to the other side of the world. It was a valid scientific theory that many scientists held. And so this expedition sets out to, to break through the ice and to find this ocean at the top of the world to find a passing to the other side of the world. And we have the, the ship's journals, the captain's journals, and obviously uh, they come to find out that that's not the case. <laughs> that they had an idea of what something was or how it worked and as they experienced it, they realized, oh, it's not what we thought it was. <laughs> we didn't have the right idea. It's, it's a fascinating account. And they actually end up, the survivors, uh, they get into the ice flow and they actually end up in Siberia because of how the, the ice shifts around the polar cap. And it's, it's fascinating, the story of what they endured. But this idea of thinking about this theory, right, there's scientific theories all the time. We have good ideas, but sometimes those ideas end up being ridiculous when you look back on it. I remember being a kid and putting Skittles in a bottle of water, thinking that the bottle of water would end up tasting like Skittles. And my mom yelled at me because I wasted her $1.25 at the gas station, <laughs> back when you could buy things for $1.25 at a gas station, Right? Now they have things called energy drinks, which are basically Skittles dissolved in water. <laughs> but that was a foolish idea. I thought it was a great idea. I knew what was happening. I, I knew how it would turn out, but it was just foolishness. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he is bothered by this dream. And in the explanation of this dream to him by Daniel and everything that comes along with it, Dan, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar realizes, oh, I thought I knew something. I thought I had an idea of how things worked, but I'm wrong. But yet, even in his pride, he isn't fully humbled. And we'll continue to see this develop throughout the book of Daniel. But Nebuchadnezzar thought he knew how things worked. His wise men thought that they knew how things worked and they had a, a way and ideas of how it should go. But we see here how the Lord is sovereign over all and he is the one who has authority and power. He is the one who reveals wisdom and insight and understanding. He is the one who raises kings and, and lowers them down. So we'll see here in this section where human wisdom and understanding and thinking fails but insights and wisdom and understanding that comes from the Lord is the thing that ultimately endures. Our big idea for this passage is this, is that through the provision of wisdom and understanding to Daniel, God brings glory to himself by revealing the end of human kingdoms and the eternality of his kingdom. 
God gives wisdom and understanding to Daniel. And he does so not just to glorify Daniel, but ultimately to glorify himself and to demonstrate that he is the one who's going to rule and reign forever. He's going to put Nebuchadnezzar in his place. Now, how Nebuchadnezzar responds in the future, we will see how he is a little thick-skulled. He is filled with pride, and he will be humbled yet again in the coming chapters. But here, he has this first dream of the ultimate victory of God's kingdom. Through this provision of wisdom and understanding, God brings glory to himself. God demonstrates the failure of false religions and those who hold to them, which we'll read about here of these wise men, these magicians. We're also reminded of God's faithfulness and of his provision of wisdom and guidance to those that he puts in place who are submitted to him. And the ultimate end we'll read of of all these kingdoms and religions is ultimately to perish before the true kingdom of God. They will be replaced by this insurmountable kingdom that will have no end. So let's look here at chapter 2. And as we jump here into chapter 2, and this section begins in the book of Daniel, the Aramaic section. So if you remember, as I mentioned last week or a couple weeks ago, Daniel is written in two different languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Aramaic was the common, in a sense, tongue or the common language of the day that would be shared by all these different nations. This was the language of commerce and of, of, of politics, of, of interacting with different nations, Aramaic. And it would be, it's very much related. It's a sister language to Hebrew. Uh, so there's a lot of crossover between the two languages, though they aren't uh, identical. But this section begins, chapter 2 through chapter 7. These six verses are all written in Aramaic. And I think the reason why is because these accounts take place in Babylon, where the language spoken was Aramaic. And as these tales are recorded and shared with people, with how God is in charge of the rising and falling of nations, you need a language that those nations will understand. And Aramaic is that language. So this is the section of Aramaic here. And there's also a literary structure that Daniel uses. You've heard me talk about this before. It's called a chiasm. Think of it like an arrow, right? So you have chapter 2 up at the top, and then at the bottom you have chapter 7, and then you have parallel passages that work in to, to the tip. And, and that is generally the main point of the, the literature. So you have kind of sister chapters. So chapter 2 and chapter 7 are sister chapters. In chapter 2, we'll read about a statue uh, made of four different substances. And in chapter 7, we read about four kingdoms, four different animals. You see how those are parallel. Then you have chapter 3 and chapter 6 working our way in. And both of those chapters talk about Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel being judged for their basically unwillingness to bow to false gods. You have the the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. And then you have chapters four and five, which really are the points uh, here uh, of this section. You have chapter four, which is Nebuchadnezzar, who's humbled, but he turns and praises God. And then in chapter five, you have Belteshazzar, who is humbled, 
But he doesn't turn and trust God. He is utterly destroyed. (laughs) And so we see here, those who set themselves against God ultimately will be humbled uh, by his power. And so we see this structure put together here in Daniel. And so this is the beginning of this in Daniel chapter 2 and this dream of Nebuchadnezzar. So let's look starting in verse 1 about Nebuchadnezzar's dream here and how God will demonstrate uh, or bring glory to himself. Daniel 2 verse 1 says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. The king, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Our first point in this passage is this, is that false religions will fail. The failure of false religions, fake religions, ungodly religions, superstitions, ways of thinking. Uh, Whether it's a secular worldview where humans are God and you can explain everything by science, that's a system of belief. You have the spiritism, the animism of these third world countries with these cultures that have not developed and they they worship ancestors. And you you have these two extremes and you have everything in between of different ways to think about spirituality, how you approach the world. False religions ultimately will fail. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Dreams are huge. They are very important in the Babylonian culture because the gods communicate through dreams to the kings. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he is upset by it. Have you ever had a dream that you've been upset by? Maybe a nightmare? Maybe your children have? Um, There have been a few times our kids have woken up crying, and what happened? It was a bad dream. It was a scary dream. right? Sometimes you eat something very odd before bed, and your dreams match that, right? I had a professor in college who always said, you know, if you drink a two-liter Mountain Dew and eat a large pepperoni pizza before bed, you're going to have strange dreams and you're going to wake up not feeling human. But guess what? Those dreams (laughs) are because of the food and you are human, (laughs) right? Our our, our physicalness of our bodies can affect our dreams. But here, this dream was, in a sense, planted by God. He is sovereignly ordaining this because of how it comes about. But Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he is troubled by it that he can't fall back asleep. And so what he does is he calls his soothsayers, his magicians, his priests, his religious people. These names in verse 2, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, they're all synonyms of this religious religious class uh, of advisors to Nebuchadnezzar. There was a lot of overlap between political advisors and the spiritual uh, kind of occultic advisors in Babylon. And so he calls all these men to himself. And he says, verse 3, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. They said in Aramaic, O king, live forever, which is, a, which is the normal greeting to a king. O king, live forever. Tell us your dream. Tell the servants your dream and we will show you their interpretation. All right. What was your dream about? You tell us your dream and we'll explain it. 
history records very odd ways in which they were to interpret dreams. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that they would cut open a sheep and pull out its liver. And by doing that, uh, the way that the liver was shaped, or I, I don't know, you know, I'm not, don't know what a sheep's liver looks like. You can maybe talk to Jeremy about that if you want to. Um, that it would communicate different things. And so they were waiting to hear the dream and then they would go about their business to explain it. But the king answered in verse 5 and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm, meaning, no, 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 this is what I'm saying. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretations, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. That's pretty intense. Nebuchadnezzar says, no, 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 no. You tell me what my dream is and explain it to me or I'm going to kill you and I'm going to destroy your house and basically all your relatives. Now, a couple things here. This demonstrates that Nebuchadnezzar is not the most self-controlled person. Maybe you've heard the phrase, well, that escalated quickly. This escalates quickly right here. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar goes, no, 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 you tell me the dream and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Through saying this, Nebuchadnezzar demonstrates his belief in his ultimate authority and power, that he has the right to take life from whomever he wants to, especially if it doesn't please him in this way. Perhaps the extreme, uh, extreme judgment that he is giving out is because of how much the dream troubled him as well. He's serious because this dream is unsettling and he needs to know and And he doesn't want any parlor tricks. Maybe he's sick of these magicians who are, in a sense, trying to pull the wool over his eyes, and he's starting to see through their fraudulent beliefs and activities. There could be many motivations here, but Nebuchadnezzar shows his impetuousness, his lack of self-control, his, in his mind, untempered authority. He says, if you don't tell me what my dream is and explain it, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to destroy your houses. Verse 6, but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. If you succeed, you're going to be rewarded like none other. If you fail, I'm taking your life and destroying everything around you. That does not speak of a kind, gracious king right there. That speaks of a tyrant. Somebody who is, it's his way or the highway. Somebody who is, is only focused on himself and his authority and power. Verse 7, they answered a second time. They said, let the king tell the servants to dream it and we will show its meaning or its interpretation. They said, oh, please tell us and we'll explain it. And he said, no. Verse 8, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. No, 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 no. You're just trying to buy time here. Because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. Now listen to this. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar is is fed up with these guys and their tricks. He sees through the false beliefs and false activities and actions that they have. He sees how it's empty. He understands how it's all fake. It's all a show. It's not true. And so you have the sin and pride of the 
the wicked king, and then you have the, the foolishness and, and the lack of ability of these false, in a sense, religious men, you see how they come to a head here. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered him and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or, enchant- or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. This is interesting. The statements that they make here say, no man can do this. No magician, no religious person, no priest, no wise men can do this. Only the gods can do this. And they don't don't live with men. They don't dwell with us. They are far removed from us. This is setting up the fact that God is going to reveal, the one true God is going to reveal what this is. You're right. No man can come to this understanding. It must come from God. And God will demonstrate that through Daniel. And they say here, the gods are, are not with us. They do not dwell with us in, in, with flesh, which is interesting, which is almost this, this kind of literary foreshadowing of Jesus coming to dwell with us in the flesh. That their gods are so far removed and, and they, they don't care, in a sense, about them where the one true God does and will show himself faithful here. So all this happens, the failure of these false religions. Verse 12, but because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Think of this, you're some lowly mid-management wise man living in a city like 200, 200 miles away, All of a sudden, you get this decree, all wise men be put to death. What did I do? (laughs) Right? It's like, what's going on here? Daniel and his friends were not present because they were being sought out uh, to to be judged. All these wise men in the nation. Think of how short sighted and how lacking self control that demonstrates about Nebuchadnezzar. He invests all this time and energy and money into these wise men that are spread out over his country, his kingdom, helping control and to lead and to, to guide the people. And because they can't explain one dream to him, kill them all. That's a, you just see the pride and the anger and the, 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 the self-absorption, um, self-absorbment that, that is just, is Nebuchadnezzar. He is so full of himself and so angry so quickly that he's willing to kill off hundreds, if not thousands of men because they can't explain this dream to him. Men who, have, who haven't even, in a sense, been given a chance to explain the dream to him. But we see Daniel's response here. So the decree went out. The wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel in verse 13, verse 14. Then Daniel replied, and we see the contrast here between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is angry. He's, he's blinded by rage. He's impetuous. He is, he is set on himself. But look at Daniel. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Daniel did not fly off the handle and think, we got to hide. We got to get out of here. We're going to get killed. But Daniel responded in a manner that is self-controlled with prudence. That's the idea of of control, of wisdom, of being able to 
to control yourself. And discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? He's saying, excuse me, sir, but why is this so urgent? What has happened? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. He explained it. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel goes in and he requests, give me an opportunity to interpret this dream for you. So here we see the failure of these false religions, these magicians, encanters, sorcerers. We see that the pride and the anger of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And then you see the control and prudence of Daniel. One who does know the true Lord. He does not fly off the handle. He is not up and down. He's not blown about by every single thing like these, these false prophets are. And this king who has said on himself, rather he responds in a way that is self-controlled. It's a good reminder today for us as Christians that in the ups and downs of not knowing, the ups and downs of the beliefs of the culture, that we can respond with prudence and discretion. Why is that? Why could Daniel respond in this way? Because he had his heart set not on a false religion, but on the one true God. We can look at our world today and the, the, the flow of thinking. It's terrible. It's set against God. It is anti-God. The world is anti-God. It's anti the Bible. It is turning things upside down. It is taking things that the Bible has made clear from the beginning of time and twisting it and saying, no, that's wrong. That's backwards. That's bigoted. That's unloving. All these things with, with marriage and sexuality of of abortion and valuing life and even what you live for. All of those are lies of a false religion of even false gods or worshiping ourselves as gods, as humans. And it can be easy for us to think, oh no, what are we going to do? And we can respond in a manner that matches their anger and lack of self-control and impetuousness when we should be responding with prudence and discretion. Why? Because we know that the one true God is sovereign over all of this, that he's in control and we can trust him. This does not mean that we don't speak up. We need to speak boldly and plainly and with courage, but understanding that when we speak, we're not offering a suggestion to the problem. We are offering the solution, which is Jesus Christ and believing him according to his word. We are offering the solution. We don't need to waver. We don't need to, be, we don't need to be scared. We need to be resolute and understand that God ultimately wins. He is the one who wins. He has delivered us through his son, Jesus Christ, and now indwells us by his Holy Spirit. We need not fear the future. We need not bow and cower before these false religions, for they will fail. Because God ultimately will win. Our second point here is this. The faithfulness of the one true God. Verses 17 through 24. So all this happens with this dream. We still don't know what the dream is in Daniel's account. But we know that, or excuse me, what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is. But Daniel's going to be, uh, make, make it known here by God. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house 
and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. There's no indication that Daniel knew that he would be given the interpretation. There's no indication that Daniel was like, oh, I got this in the bag. <laughs> but he went back to his house, to his friends, and said, we need to seek mercy from the Lord. We need to pray together. I think this is a great example when something difficult comes into our lives that we get people involved in praying. And this is one aspect of the church that's so important, praying for one another. We may not know all the details. We may not know all the needs of everyone, but we can be praying for one another. And when those certain things come along that are difficult, that are large and pressing, we can share and we can come together and pray and seek mercy from God. Here, these young men do this, not knowing that they're going to be given an answer. There's no, there's no indication that it was surely going to be given to them. But they cry out. They pray to God for mercy concerning this mystery. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel received this vision, whether it's in a dream or in a vision that just comes upon him, it's, it's in the night. More than likely, they were still praying. And what does Daniel do? The first thing that Daniel does is he turns and gives praise to God. He turns and gives praise to God. And not in a, like, interview with an athlete who just won a championship, I got to give praise to God. This is a solemn and sound and grounded understanding of who God is and what God has done. I love this prayer of Daniel. He says this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. So he, blessed, give praise is the idea. Give praise to God forever and ever. Give praise to him forever. Why? Because to him belong wisdom and might. Not only is he powerful, but he has understanding. And he has the authority to change times and seasons. This is the idea of, of times, of, of making, in a sense, time move. And seasons is that of weather. We can't control the weather. <laughs> as much as we might like to, we can't control the weather. I think it's so funny how at certain times we can be so obsessed with the weather. Not rightly so for farmers. That's obviously a, a real thing in the agricultural industry. But... We look at the weather and we think, oh no, and we can worry about it when we can't do anything about it. <laughs> Carrie and I are looking forward to a few days away for our anniversary in a few weeks. And, you know, the two-week forecast has finally gotten there and we're already looking at the weather. And it was going to be rain. And two days later, now it's sunshine. Two days later, it'll probably be rain again. We can't control it. But God can. He is the one who controls the changing of times and seasons. And not only the, the physical world around us, but he removes kings and he sets up kings. He's the one who's behind all these kings. It's like Daniel has this insight that he can stand before Nebuchadnezzar who can tear him limb from limb and, and Daniel can say, you know what? You could kill me, but I know whose hand you are in. And whatever you do to me, it, it really can't be anything worse than death because I believe in one true God. And he's the one who's sovereign over you. And if, if he still has a plan for me, you know what? You can't touch me. 
He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. This idea is those who already know who he is and trust him. He gives wisdom to the wise, not in an earthly sense, but wisdom to the wise. The wise are those who fear the Lord, according to Proverbs. He gives knowledge to those who have understanding. Understanding is who God is, that he's the one true God. Just as we have received understanding in the gospel, God continues to give us more and more as we seek that wisdom from him. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things and he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. This description of the character of God, of his understanding and of his benevolent giving of wisdom and understanding and revealing hidden things and dark things because he is light. And then verse 23, he shifts it to the direct application to him. He says, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. You have now made me known, you have now made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel received insight and understanding and knowledge of Nebuchadnezzar's dream by God's grace because God has a plan for Daniel and that he will use him. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. It's this last minute. Wait, 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 wait. I know what his dream is. The one true God has made it known to me. Now I will show the king the interpretation. The faithfulness of the one true God, as opposed to these false religions. God is faithful and we can trust him, his might, his wisdom, his understanding. Daniel turns to prayer and personal thanks for the insight that God has given him. This is the character of who God is and this is the same God that we worship today. And the world says God is foolish. The Bible is backwards The gospel is foolishness. What does 1 Corinthians say? Right? That the foolishness of God humbles the wisdom of men. And it's not foolishness in the sense that that's what it actually is, but it's the contrast that men think that they are wise and have understanding, but yet the foolish things God uses to humble the wise. Because in our sinfulness... In our pride, we think sacrifice and service is small, is foolishness. Making yourself nothing for the sake of another? Because that's contrary to our sin nature because we want to make much of ourselves and build ourselves up. And so when we humble ourselves and serve others, that's foolishness. That's contrary to the ways of man since the beginning of time, since sin entered into the world, but yet That foolishness is wisdom. It's the way of the gospel. It's the way of Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to become sin. Jesus came to to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are to have the mind of Christ. We did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but gave up in a sense, took on human flesh and served those who were set against him. He ultimately died for them. The foolishness and failure of the false religion contrasted with the faithfulness and wisdom of the true God who gives wisdom. 
I love in James 1, if we lack wisdom, ask. Because God is a God of wisdom who gives that understanding. Daniel has been confronted here again with a difficult circumstance of death. But we see the failure of false religions. We see the faithfulness of God. And next week we'll look at the future of the kingdoms of men and how God's ultimate power will be shown through the rising and falling of nations and the setting up of his kingdom forever. So as we read the first half of this chapter, we see who God is as compared to the failure of false religions and human kings and their anger and the proclivity to act with knee-jerk reactions. But as we trust the one true God who will win, we respond in wisdom and discretion, discernment, trusting and resting in who he is in the face of difficult opposition. Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel here and thank you of your mercy in giving him understanding and wisdom. Lord, I pray as we face a culture that is just as hostile against you in different ways, but yet, Lord, set against you, that we would respond in discretion and discernment, knowing that you are the one sovereignly in control and that you ultimately win. Your kingdom will have no end. Your kingdom conquers every other kingdom of men. And Lord, that we can rest in that fact. Lord, help us to go forth with boldness today, with a settled hope in Christ because of the future we have in him. We pray in his name. Amen.